So I had planned to speak this message two weeks ago on December 1st, which was uh, the official beginning of the Advent season. Now, if we take the messages of many Christmas films and our own faith seriously, then probably the season of preparation for Jesus is always. We're always preparing, but we're always celebrating, right? There's always a, a, a not yet, but there's all, always an already as well. So it's kind of this tension we live in uh, as Christians. But this is a time of the year leading up to Christmas called Advent where we intentionally focus on preparing. It's a time of longing and waiting and preparation. The, the word Advent um, simply means presence or to come uh, from Latin, Adventus, and it's about the presence of Jesus. And, we, and again, we have that, but we're also waiting for it, aren't we? We're also longing for that. And however much we have, is that enough? Yes and no. Exactly. <laughs> once, you, once you fill to your capacity, you're like, oh, now I'm overflowing, and then what happens? Your capacity expands. And so now, it's not enough. And so what do you need? You need more. So we're always waiting and asking and longing for more and being fulfilled and waiting for fulfillment. Um, Christmas, uh, well, Christmas is a lot of stuff, isn't it? It's a whole mess of stuff. And Christmas celebrations, uh, or celebrations, I should say, at this time of year, the middle of winter, uh, which is technically December 21st, the shortest day of the year in the Northern Hemisphere, also known as the winter solstice. People have been having celebrations uh, and parties around that time of year for millennia. One of the reasons being it's too cold and dark, especially the further north you go, to do much else. Uh, your cattle at this point in the year are not able to graze very well. So you slaughter some of them. And you eat some of them because you need food and you don't have food for them. You also, your beer and your wine are fermented by this point. So now you have all the makings of a great party. And that's what people did. So this time of the year has been a time of basically feasting and partying for both reasons of necessity and also choice for a long, long time. There are many traditions like the Norse Yule log celebrations, and a lot, of course, these things also had spiritual significance for all the communities that engaged them. Like the Yule log would be burned. You would go and basically chop down the biggest log you could carry. Where's Lloyd? How big of a log can you carry, Lloyd? Like, it's, it's pretty heavy, isn't it? Yeah, right? Like, so they would get the biggest log they could get, though, and burn it, and then all the sparks that came off it were, were, they believe, symbolized the, the cattle, the calves that would be born, or the, the goat babies that would be born throughout the year. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff mixed into it. In, in, uh, for the ancient Romans, they had a ce celebration called Saturnalia from December 17th uh, to 23rd. Uh, they also had, uh, this was a bit of an odd sect, but they celebrated Mithras, the god of light and uh, golden things, and they celebrated him on December 25th, a date that we are well familiar with. So it actually wasn't until 400 years after Jesus was born that the Christian church actually started celebrating the birth of Christ as a, like an event. 
And that was instituted by Pope Julius I, and he chose December 25th. So why? Probably because there's, everybody's having parties at this time of the year anyway. So let's celebrate something that's meaningful to us, that is important to us, and really should be important for everyone, that we believe impacts everyone, right? But this is, that's a long time, isn't it? The fifth century. Uh, the, this, is, this is even worse. The, the Puritans in the early 17th century canceled Christmas. Canceled it. And the most conservative Puritans moved from England because it wasn't conservative enough to North America so they could start things off fresh and right and do it properly. And Christmas was actually illegal in certain places. In Boston, uh, in the 1800s at one point, you could be fined for doing anything Christmas-related. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like fun folks, eh? <laughs> like, what a party. It sound, if you've read Narnia, it sounds like the White Witch, always winter and never Christmas. It's terrible. Uh, one other thing I want to touch on uh, that, you know, has become basically American, North American folklore is the figure of Santa Claus, uh, who was a real person. He was, and still is, depending if you ask my wife, I guess. Um, <laughs> St. Nicholas was, uh, was born in Turkey in 280, the year 280, so actually about 200 years before people actually started celebrating Christmas, Santa Claus slash St. Nicholas was around. Uh, he came from a wealthy family, inherited a significant uh, amount of wealth, and gave it all away, and basically traveled around the countryside uh, helping people who were too poor to barely survive, and people who are sick, and this is where we get the legend of Santa Claus, or the, the basis for that character, rather loosely based, I would say, nowadays. <laughs> it's gone through some, uh, some different changes over the years. The reason we get Santa Claus is uh, the Dutch called him Sint Nikolaus. Nikolaus? I'm probably saying it wrong. Uh, and then the slang for that was Sinterklaus, and then when Americans started trying to say this Dutch slang, they came up with Santa Claus. <laughs> so now we have Santa Claus from St. Nicholas. So what do we get from all this? There's Christmas, the winter solstice, this time of year, Santa Claus, St. Nicholas. It's a big mix of stuff, isn't it? And I think in a lot of ways, like many areas of life, it's kind of what you make of it. Christmas, Advent, is what you make of it. It can be meaningless, or it can be really meaningful. It can be a time of consumerism, or it can be a time of real generosity. It can be a time of selfish gluttony, it's all about me. Or it can be a time of true joyful celebration. Celebrating good stuff in life. Good things, good people, good food. It can be something that leaves us feeling ultimately empty. Or it can leave us with a profound sense of both fulfillment and longing. But it's how we approach it. It's not going to magically happen to us, right? 
we need to be intentional about this. And this is why I love the Advent season, because it is being intentional about creating the space in our lives for the presence of God to come in. It's about preparing for the birth of Jesus. It's about making space for the incarnate manifestation of God's presence in our lives and remembering that, but also asking God to come again. Jesus promised to come back, right? It hasn't happened yet. We're still waiting for him to come again. This is a season of preparing space for that. You know, it's, it's really easy to feel empty uh, and let down this time of year if we haven't made room for God. The irony is when, you're, when your life is filled up with a bunch of, it's so easy for this to be the, one of the busiest times of the year, one of the most hectic times of the year. You almost find, it, it's almost common for people to complain about, it. oh, I've got to, I have to go to this party, I've got to, I know I'm not done my Christmas shopping. And then, you know, there's this whole, like, it's like, all this stuff. And then what happens? Just a bunch more garbage for the landfill, and you've eaten so much you feel sick. And yet, in your heart, in your spirit, you might feel empty. Because those are all things that are not necessarily bad things. Well, maybe eating too much and filling up the landfill is bad. But within, to, within reason, they're not bad things. But they're not ultimately fulfilling things. So, I, I, I want us to, uh, I encourage us to approach this season in these, these last couple of weeks, really, that we've got before Christmas, to make space, intentionally prepare space. And I also want to encourage you, if you do feel empty in some way, if you do feel unsatisfied and unfulfilled, that is not a sign that you are doing something wrong. That is probably a sign that you're doing everything right. Because there is space in your heart for God. And hold that space as something sacred. Don't, don't, I'm not saying just settle for what you've got. Make that space open and available and take that emptiness to God and ask him to fill it. And he will. I can't promise you that's going to happen at 6 a.m. on December the 25th. But it will happen. Jesus will return. Expect it. Be ready. Create that space. The, um, the people of Israel, uh, when Jesus were born, were very desperate for some help in their lives. They needed some serious breakthrough. The, the context is they, they, they used to be a powerful kingdom, one of the most powerful, wealthy, and respected kingdoms in the world. So much so that during the reign of Solomon, rulers from other countries were coming to marvel and wonder at the splendor of their kingdom, his palace, their, the temple of God, to hear his wisdom that God had gifted him with about just the understanding of life in the universe. 
And essentially, they ended up throwing it all away. As Mary was talking about, God kept inviting them to, to return to him. They, they started worshiping other gods. They, started, they did many foolish, silly things, much like many of the things I've done in my life. And yet, God continually asked them to return to him. The prophets continually spoke messages of, come back. Comes back to God. He loves you. He wants to care for you. If you listen to him, if you follow him, if you turn to him, he will save you and deliver you. And God does over and over and over again. But the people are just so stubborn that eventually they go into exile. And at the stage when Jesus is born, they've been, we've gone through several major world powers, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, and now the Romans. And the Romans have conquered almost all of the Western world. Basically all of what we call Europe now, they had violently conquered. And in certain parts of Rome, up to 40% of the population at certain times were slaves. The Roman Empire is founding on, founded on slave labor and brutal military uh, power. And so the people of Israel, the Jewish people, are living in Palestine at this time. The Romans have controlled them al almost every aspect of their lives. They allow them to still worship their God in their temple, but they, they essentially have no political power. They, it's, it's, everything is whatever the governor or whoever Caesar sends to, to oversee Palestine, if he's happy with what you're doing, then you can do it. If not, then you'll probably just be killed. And he'll put someone in power who will be more acquiescent and cooperative to his wishes. Um, so you've got, you've got several groups of, of people, uh, of Jewish folks here and, and in other places at this time. You've got collaborators who are the suck-ups and they just, they're just in it to try to get as, make the best of it and have as comfortable and profitable life as they can. So tax collectors would fall into this category who collect taxes for Caesar and abuse their power and take extra money and keep it for themselves. You've also got zealots, Jewish zealots, who are Jewish people who feel they should, they should fight fire with fire and violently overthrow Caesar and work to do this, or at least overthrow, kick the Romans out of Palestine and take back power like David did. Uh, you've got also all kinds of uh, Jewish religious sects, Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, all in the mix there. Some of those folks are collaborating. Some of them are not. It's just, it's a big mix of people. And then you've got a whole bunch of people who are just regular people trying to survive. And Mary and Joseph probably fall into this category. They are just trying to live. They don't have great dreams of overthrowing the Roman Empire. They're probably just hoping they get through the next day, and the next day, and the next. So we're going to read uh, from Luke 1 about two significant uh, angelic visitations and prophetic birth announcements. Uh, I'm starting in Luke 1, verse 5. 
In the days of King Herod of Judea, so that's the Roman ruler of that area, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and the regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both getting on in years. That was a big disgrace for people back then, not to be able to have children. It was like, you, you must have sinned, which is why it's significant that it says they were righteous. So it's like this inexplicable, well, why would righteous, well, like, what, what's the deal? Once, when he was serving as a priest before God, and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now, at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go go before him to turn hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I'm an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, until these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he finally came out, he could not speak to them, and they realized that he had had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After those days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably upon me and took away the disgrace I endured among my people. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, 
and you will name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be? Since I'm a virgin. The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who is said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Shortly after, Mary set out and went in haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child in her womb leaped. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. That's pretty awesome. I've had three kids. No angel that I'm aware of. I don't remember it anyway if they came and told me Something like that. That's true. I'm not the mother. Joseph did get a visitation at one point. Not in this story. Did you get a visitation, Melissa? No, she doesn't remember either. So, I think she would have told me. I would have heard something about that, I think. <sighs> well, I want to I look at these two parallel stories. On the one hand, we've got announcement to Zechariah. You're going to have a baby finally. And an announcement to Mary. You're going to have a baby already. And both of them are like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And yet, one of them, the angel's like, uh, yeah, so you didn't believe me, but what I said is true. And now, because you didn't believe me, you're going to not be able to speak until your baby's born. And the other one, the angel's like, yeah, this is going to be way better than you ever thought it would be. And you're super blessed. What gives? <laughs> Both of these things, like Zechariah didn't get this thing, oh, don't worry, everything is possible with God. That's what the angel says to Mary. I think Zechariah is probably on the same. He's like, yeah, this isn't possible, bro. We've been trying. It ain't working. We're old now. It, like, even if it was working, it wouldn't be working. Do you know how this works? Do I have to draw a picture for you? This, like, this is what's, he doesn't say that. He's, he's wise to some degree. That would probably not be a wise thing to say to the angel Gabriel. Um, 
So he's not, you know, he is a righteous man and not stupid. But, I mean, I sympathize with him. He, he, like, what does he say? He says, how will I know this is so? Because I am old and my wife is old. And that is credited to him as unbelief. Why? I mean, I, under, I understand where he's coming from. He's got a whole lifetime of disappointment. He's been trying. They have been trying to have a baby. It's not for lack of trying that Elizabeth has not had a child. He's like, I think he wants to believe him. But how many times have they, you know, it doesn't say, but, you know, maybe she had some miscarriages. Who knows? Who knows what? And even regardless of what happened, it's a very disappointing and in that culture, shaming and disgraceful thing. And they've endured a lifetime of this. And he's like, hold on, how, like, how can I get on board with this? I don't, I'm not sure. The, the good news that he receives is too good. He, he, he can't accept it. And yet, in this, I also see God's purposes, that if they had already had children, John the Baptist and Jesus, who are, I'm not sure about the te- second cousins, once removed, I don't know. They're, they're relatives. They would have been born in different generations. If Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are now old people, Mary is very young and they are very old, if they had children at the normal time for people to have children, that would be a totally different generation. Now, it's not saying that God couldn't, you know, they couldn't have had more children later in life, but the, the, the motivation probably would not have been as strong. And to Zechariah's credit, though, he gets struck dumb And obviously, he and Elizabeth do at least give it one more shot because she gets pregnant very soon. So he does does act. His faith does work. He does respond. And maybe he believes the angel finally when he gets struck dumb. He's like, oh, yeah, you mean what you say, and you can just make things happen. So, okay, maybe maybe there's something to this. He gets, on, he gets on with the program, though, right? And that's to his credit. They are righteous people after all, right? These are not unfaithful, disobedient people. It makes, the text makes a point of saying they are righteous. That's probably why God chose them. He wanted John to grow up in a home that did welcome the Holy Spirit. That did act in faith. So there's Zechariah. It's a bit of a bumpy road. Mary, on the other hand, it seems like she kind of responds the same, though, doesn't it? Does this seem a little bit unfair? Her first response, she is also afraid, troubled, like disturbed, uh, and perplexed, and immediately is just like, what is going on? Like, she doesn't even respond to the angel right away. She's just like, "Ah, does not compute. I don't know. She probably didn't say that exactly. It's more of a paraphrase. Um, 
When she finally does respond, though, she says, how will this be since I am a virgin? Isn't that kind of the same thing? This is impossible. Literally, what she says in Greek is, since I do not know a man, which is, you know, knowing in the biblical way. She's saying she hasn't had sex. So how can she have a baby? She knows how it works. It's, and for her, it's precisely her lack of experience that is the hurdle. For Zechariah, it's a lifetime of disappointment. I've been trying to do this, and it doesn't work. For Mary, it's, yeah, I'm, like, I know how this works, and I'm not, it's not possible. And, but the angel to Mary responds seemingly very graciously. He gives her an explanation. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You will be overshadowed by the power of the Most High, and a child will be born. The child will be holy. I mean, granted, it's a bit of a vague explanation that doesn't really, you know, get into all the details, but he gives some response, right? But notice that, that Mary doesn't ask how she can know what, they, what Gabriel is saying is true. Her, her response is actually a statement of faith. How will this happen? She's already on board. She's like, okay, it's going to happen. But how? And I think what's implied is, what, do you, what am I supposed to be doing here? She's like, I'm not married, and I'm not having sex, but you're telling me I'm going to get pregnant. So bring me up to speed on the biology of this here. I, like, how, how do I partner with this prophetic word to bring it into being? How will this happen? I think that's a crucial response. It's okay to ask when God gives you some crazy impossible thing, it's okay to ask how. It's also okay if you're like, I have a lifetime of disappointment in this area and I'm not sure if I can believe this. The best response then is, okay, help me believe. <laughs> but if you do believe and you're like, okay, but where do I go from here? The next question is, okay, how? It's not, it's not necessarily just, okay, well, sit on your butt and God will, you know, Santa Claus will come and lo and behold, all the presents will be under the tree, right? That's not this message. What, and what the angel invites her into is a profound submission to the presence of God. I don't know exactly what it means uh, for the Holy Spirit to come on someone and the power of the Most High to overshadow Mary such that she becomes pregnant with Jesus Christ. But I imagine it involves a profound act of submission on Mary's part of openness, of creating space, of creating sacred space, and waiting for God to do something that he said he was going to do. And then, and then even once, you know, she probably didn't realize she was pregnant for about a month or so at least. And when she did, there's still a process, right? takes about nine months to cook those things. 
if things are going on schedule, it's about nine months. That's a fairly long preparation time. We only spent four weeks preparing for Christmas, but Mary spent at least nine months preparing for Jesus to be born. That is a, a sacred, holy process. Welcoming, waiting on, submitting to, and allowing the presence of God to grow in our lives. That is what this season is about. And it's also about saying, Jesus, please come back. We're so desperate for your presence. Uh, like, for, uh, Mary's response is pretty mind-boggling, it, especially because she says, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. This means that she is going to be ostracized, that she's going to be a social pariah. People are going to look down on her because she's, had a, she's pregnant and she's not married. For a young Jewish girl at this time, that is a big problem. And there's no, no, there's no way you're going to be able to explain that. Like for Zechariah and Elizabeth, this is a huge vindication. For Mary and Joseph, who later gets on board with all this, who's also a, a righteous guy, this kind of wrecks her life in a lot of ways. They're, they're never, they're, she's never going to live that down. Everyone's going to know her. There's no anonymity in Nazareth. Everyone knows this. And it's not going to be a good legacy. And I, I, don't, think she, I don't think she got on board with this thoughtlessly. I don't think she fully understood the full implications of what she was agreeing to, but I, I do, th I'm sure of that at least ran through her mind, and she was like, yep, okay. I'm in 100%. There is, as Adam spoke about a few weeks ago, often a cost to following Jesus, to submitting to God, and to, to pursuing faith, a life of faith with God, Right? It was pretty rough for Gideon. It thinks, it's like, oh, we'll make it even harder and more impossible. Great. This is what Mary submits to. This crazy, impossible thing that's going to ruin her life in a lot of ways and yet be the best thing ever. That's kind of what accepting Jesus into your heart is like. It's going to ruin a lot of stuff. It's going to make a lot of things a lot harder and it's going to be way better than any other possibility or, 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 or alternative. And the, work just, and the work doesn't end there. Because, you know, usually getting pregnant is not, uh, for Mary, it wasn't for, uh, sorry, for Zechariah and Elizabeth, that was the hard part. For Mary, that was not the hard part. The hard part was everything that came after, right? Being pregnant just gets more and more difficult. I do not have firsthand experience, but I've lived with someone who has done this. And I can see that it exacts a toll in many ways. 
physical, psychological, emotional. There is, it is life-changing in and of itself. And then you have the baby, and then you realize that that was all a piece of cake, pretty much. <laughs> and then the baby gets older, and you realize, oh, yeah, that little baby that all they did was cry and poop, that was the easy part. And then they get older, and you're like, oh, yeah, no, that kindergarten was, de like, that was actually much easier. Uh, I am not into teen years yet with my children, though I'm told that is also uh, something to look forward to. So, we'll see when we get there. My wife says, oh gosh. I'm sure it's filled with faith. <laughs> the Lord will do the impossible. So, what does this mean for us? What can we do during this season to prepare our hearts for this 100% commitment, here I am. Do with me whatever you say, Lord. And then to, to, uh, to say that question again every day, to wake up in every moment, and in the afternoon when you're falling asleep at your desk, or in the evening when you're tired and grumpy after work, to say, here, here I am, Lord. This is an ongoing thing that we, we as we grow the presence of, of Christ in our life, we submit to again over and over and over again. We're going to do some, uh, some prayer time. And I suspect that for some of us, there's maybe some promises that have come to mind. Hey, God, you said this crazy impossible thing was going to happen. What's up with that? Hasn't happened. Or maybe you're just generally like, God, I need more of you. My job does not satisfy me. My relationships are tough. I feel alone. I feel torn between things. I need more of you, God. My body has pain or sickness, injury, but I need you, God. Maybe there's a dis disappointment that has come to your mind, something that you believed, a dream that God put in your heart. Imagine this. God obviously had a, had a family plan for Zechariah and Elizabeth, and I think they sensed that beyond the normal cultural, social pressure just to have a child. This was obviously a, a prophetic destiny on their lives, right? To have a child and have a significant child, an important child. Maybe there's a, a, something, you've, a disappointment. You're like, God, I know there's supposed to be something here. And I keep trying and it just still doesn't work. Maybe I'm at the point in my life where it seems like, yeah, this is never going to work. Let's ask God what good news he wants to speak to our hearts in these areas. Do you want to do that with me this morning? Let's pray.
Lord, first of all, we just, we believe you and we want to believe you more. You know we believe and yet help our unbelief also. You know we are hungry. You know we are thirsty. And you came to give us your body and blood, to give us the bread of life, to give us living water. We ask for that now, God. Lord, I just ask that you would begin to heal disappointed hearts right now in this room and give encouragement. Encouragement to keep going where it just seems like it hasn't happened and it's never going to happen. Speak for peace. Lord, we're having, we're having trouble believing the good news sometimes. Um, sometimes. Maybe we're not sure exactly what that is. What is the good news in this situation? God, speak to our hearts. Give us hope, Lord Jesus. We wait for the light of your hope. Show us that star that we can follow it, that star of hope that is you, that leads to your presence, that leads to encounter with you. Let us catch that gleam, even if it is a tiny pinprick in outer space, if it seems that far away. Draw our eye, the eyes of our hearts, to that speck of hope. And give us the wisdom and courage to follow. And Lord, where, where there are areas where we, we know what you've said and we, are, we want to follow you, God, show us how. Show us how. Show us how we can actively Submit to you and trust in your power that is supernatural and also how we can partner with you. What actual stuff do we need to do? Speak to our hearts now, Lord. Yeah, you know, like Mary, Mary didn't have to do it a whole lot other than just say yes but she did a whole lot after she became pregnant. I'm sure she took good care of herself and put a lot of energy into growing this baby and caring for this baby as a mother. Show us how we can partner, God. Where you want to supernaturally overshadow us with your power and where we need to actively do stuff. If God's, if God's speaking to you, just keep listening and tune me out. <laughs> keep listening to him. Lord, I also pray for us as, a, as, a church, as individuals and as a church body that we would be ready for you to return. 
and that we would take advantage of this season to intentionally prepare for you over and above and beyond what we do the rest of the year, that this would just be a, a heightened time of expectancy, of longing, of preparing sacred space in our hearts and lives for you to enter into in an immediate basis, on an ongoing basis, and also as we eagerly pray and wait for your, for your return. God, we are desperate for you in every way possible. And we give you this, this season, this time, to just sit with that and not try to fill it up with eggnog. And not try to fill it up with turkey and presents and parties. Lord, in the midst of that, give us wisdom to see where we can carve out that sacred space of our hearts to be in watchful, longing, waiting for you. Waiting to welcome you and celebrate your birth, your presence in our lives. The gift of your presence in our lives, God. I just wanted to share one personal story before we wrap up here. Um, when I was, I'm not sure how old I was, and again, if God is speaking to you, please don't listen to me. Um, when I was, I was probably five, six, seven, so I'll average it out and say six, um, I was uh, in Sunday school, which is basically our kitchen with my mom because my dad was the priest of the Anglican church that we were at. So the Sunday school was my brother, my younger brother, and myself, and my mom. Um, it was a full house. And she talked to us one Sunday about uh, sort of, I don't know if it was a particularly good, um, like, gospel message, but it did the job, so it can't have been that bad. And I decided, I was like, yes, I do want to give my heart to Jesus because it seems like the only thing that makes sense. If, if life with God is good and life without him is bad, I would just be kind of dumb not to give my life to him, even though I don't really know what that means. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'm, I'm on board. Um, and then I, but I also had this thought, I was like, but how can I, how can I say I love Jesus? I've never seen him. I've never heard him. Like, I have, I'm, you know, I'm only six, but I know people. I have relationships in my life, and people that I say I love are not strangers. Even strangers I can see or hear. People that I love are people that I see and hear and talk to regularly, and I can touch them, and I feel safe with them, and all this stuff. So in the back of my head, I'm like, is this, like, Am I actually being sincere here? Can I actually say this? And then another thought popped into my head, which I thought was just a thought in my head, but now I recognize that as actually the Holy Spirit speaking to me because I did hear him before I realized that I heard him. And this other thought was, 
that's okay. You will. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that solves it. And I was like, yeah, that checks out. And I moved on with life. Um, and that was basically the Holy Spirit, I now recognize, reassuring me that it's okay. I understand. You don't, you, like, you see that there are limits to your love now. And so, in a sense, saying I love you to Jesus might seem hypocritical or false. But it's not if you keep going with it. It only becomes hypocrisy when you're like, nope, I'm done. And walk away. And don't turn back. It is not hypocrisy to turn and return to God over and over again. And God knows we're going to do that. He knows it better than we do. And I did not know the cost that it would take me years and years later to begin to feel, yeah, I actually do love Jesus. I've made, I, and I know that because I've made costly decisions to show him my love. And, and not just in order to show him my love. I've made costly decisions because I love him. Therefore, how else would I, what else would I do? But it's okay. And like, it's the same, it's still the same thing now. There, I, there, if I say I love you, Jesus, there's a limit to that in a sense, right? I am, do not love him perfectly. And yet I look forward with hope to a time when I meet Jesus face to face and there's a fulfillment of his presence and his goodness in my life such that I am more fully able to genuinely and truly not only say I love you, but to actually love him. That is the good news that meets us where we're at, that comes into this state. Like, this is our, this is our level of preparedness for the, for the Messiah of the world, a stinky little barn with smelly animals and a probably not even cleaned out feeding trough. That's our level of preparedness. But that's okay. Because God chooses to enter our lives in that state and fill us with his presence in that state. So I want to encourage you, it just start where you're at. Don't wait. You do not have to make everything perfect. You know, I know nesting mode is a thing when you're about to have a baby and you want the colors to be perfect and you want to have all this stuff, and it is great to be prepared, but we're never going to be fully prepared for what it means to have Jesus in our lives. So just start where you're at and, and go from there. So, God, help us do that. Help us just see you in all the crazy holiday stuff and just continue to say, yes, Lord, here I am. Do with me according to your will. How can I get on board today? How can I get on board, Lord? Amen.